What does Facebook's aggressive move into video mean for the future of YouTube? And it's a trend, publishers as platforms where fans make content, but publishers make bank. This is episode 10 of Media Unplugged, the podcast that goes behind the spin to reveal what's really happening in media. Media Unplugged with Tom A. Sacker and Mark Ramsey. Welcome to Media Unplugged. I'm Mark Ramsey. And I'm Tom A. Sacker. Tom, what does Facebook's aggressive move into video mean for the future of YouTube? This is based on a couple of articles, actually. The first from Recode, and the title of that article is, Hey, TV guys, Facebook's NFL deal means Facebook is getting serious about video. I should explain what that deal is. Facebook just signed a deal to distribute clips from the National Football League. The deal, which lets Facebook sell ads connected with the NFL clips and keep a portion of the revenue for itself, surprise, surprise, <laughs> is, is as big as Facebook's video ambitions, and that's a very big deal. More important is that the NFL pact gives you a good hint of where Facebook is headed, at least near term, with its video strategy. Here's the, here's the, uh, the nub. Procuring timely, perishable video that's important to lots of people and delivering it to the right people. Or to use the terminology I might favor, unique, compelling video content with built-in demand. Hmm. What's your take, Tom? Well, yeah, listen, Facebook has been serious about video, and this NFL deal is a very big deal. I mean, Go to YouTube, because I've done this in the past, looking for mm. some clips. See if you can find any NFL game clips. Mm. You can't. As soon as someone posts one, the NFL has that thing immediately yanked down. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing I don't think people understand about the NFL. They're huge when it comes to eyeballs, <laughs> right? I mean, they owned the top three TV broadcasts last week with Monday Night Football, wow, Thursday true. Night Football, and Sunday Night Football. Their Sunday game is the most popular show on TV. Last year, mm-hmm. this is what they report, 205 million unique people watched an NFL game. Wow. And Mark, listen, here's something that, that you'll find interesting. If the number of people who watched this year's Super Bowl game had to buy a $10 movie ticket to watch that game, the domestic box office receipts would be twice the amount brought in by Frozen. Mm, wow. So this is big. Very big. It's amazing. And and I think what's also amazing is that the context here is, or the terminology here, the word perishable video, I think is really important because the thing about all premium sports content is that it's all perishable, right? That's the definition of premium sports content, perishable. So if they're able to extract these highlights, as it were, in real time or near real time and get it to the people who are interested in it, they achieve two things. First of all, they they magnify by many orders of magnitude uh, attention to this content and viewership of this content and, of course, monetization of this mm-hmm. content. And they achieve something else, too. And that is that they tease the long-form content that's available on a completely different platform monetized through a completely different mechanism, right? Yep, you're right. And listen, this is more than just perishable. I mean, the weather forecast is perishable, right? Nobody's going to tweet it out or video the guy on TV. I mean, mm-hmm. this is this you're dealing with emotions here. I mean, imagine how many views, uh, what was it, a few months ago, that jaw-dropping one-handed touchdown catch by uh, Odell mm-hmm. Beckham of the Giants. How many people if they had access to that clip, would have sent that thing around real time right. to every Giants fan and everyone else that was watching. I mean, that literally defines 
timely, perishable video that's important to lots of people and delivering it to the right people, you know? Now, what's interesting is I don't know that there are as many categories for this kind of video as we might imagine, but even if there are only a handful, Tom, <laughs> that's still an enormous boon to whoever the, the content maker is, the distributor is. Certainly Facebook's going to benefit tremendously. So will the advertisers, so will the content makers. It's just they, they, can, they can exhaust a, a relatively small amount of effort on a relatively small amount of content and, and extract tremendous value. Don't you agree? Yeah, listen, we've been talking about this. I mean, they're all going after those TV advertising dollars. Videos exploding. I mean, if you didn't see it coming, you've been hypnotized by your television. Right. <laughs> and really, instead of fully being aware of the medium and the money. Now, you've got faster network speeds. You've got better video content for these devices. You've got usage on mobile devices going way up because of the, the size of these screens. And, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, Google has indicated that 25% of YouTube's traffic now is on mobile devices. So, you know, everybody wants to jump on this thing. Well, let's talk about the Google angle because that relates to our second piece, which is from uh, TechCrunch, and it's called Facebook Challenges YouTube Channels with the New Features for Pages. Pages, of course, the kind of a brand home for your restaurant, your mm -hmm. hotel, your brand, whatever it is, on Facebook. Um, Facebook pages um, have been suffering because of the decline in organic reach that we've talked about before. But here's the point from the piece. Facebook wants to make its home for businesses less like a newspaper that come to you and more like TV channels you can turn on. Does <laughs> that go. sound familiar? Yeah. I mean, all this conversation about Facebook as, you know, the, the TV network of the future has been, and people have discounted that notion. People have been thinking about it, I think, in too linear a fashion. It's not literally going to be a TV network. It's going to be a new version of what a TV network would be if it were created today, right? Yeah, look, they're looking for content to feed for, for users to feed to each other. I mean, they know what they're doing. Um, they've already got, I think, more than a billion video views daily, Facebook does. And more than 65% of that is on mobile. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're, they're monetizing it now with the, those video autoplay ads. Right. Which, by the way, if you watch it for three seconds, they count it as an ad impression. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it's all about the money. It's about the money. They're all chasing this thing. And, you know, YouTube isn't, isn't going to give up their dominant position anytime soon. Well, here's the, here's the thing with YouTube I think that's going to be interesting. Here's, again, from this uh, TechCrunch piece. All businesses will soon be able to choose a featured video to be displayed extra large with a live comment feed atop their page and cobble together playlists of more of their videos. This makes the videos tab of page pages look and feel a lot like YouTube channels, but right. of course, and this is my uh, editorializing here, but without, with all the power of Facebook and none of the clunky Google Plus enhancements of YouTube, I don't know if you've tried to use in a concerted fashion the combination of YouTube and, and Google and uh, Google Plus, but I'm telling you, it's a clunky mix of elements that is not built for the average, it may be built for the average technologist, but for the average user of Facebook pages, no, it is not. Oh, no, exactly. Listen, YouTube, I mean, they, they, they continue to invest in, in the channels and in, 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 in the simplicity of it, mm -hmm. doing deals with creators. I don't think Facebook has any way right now doing deals with individual creators on, on the you know, revenue sharing on the advertising that they run on these videos. And I think YouTube has something like a million video creators right now. Thousands of these people are now making 
six figures a year. Right. You know, I mean, look at Disney. We talked about this, I think, in the last episode. Disney recently bought a YouTube channel, Maker Studios, for $1 billion. <laughs> it's a gold mine, and everybody's jumping into it. Hey, here's the thing. One of these pieces makes the point that um, while that is true, there are an awful lot of YouTube stars. There aren't an awful lot of NFLs. So the fact that Facebook's be able to do, able to do this kind of deal in their kind of context with the power that they have as a social platform that Google Plus does not have, YouTube does not have. I mean, that's a big deal. That's a bigger deal, I would argue, than the Billion Dollar Maker Studios thing. We'll see. Well, it's a huge deal. Verizon just paid a billion dollars over four years to get the NFL on its phones to help attract customers. (laughs) Right. I mean, this is a great time to be in the content business too, isn't it? It's a great time to be (laughs) in the content business. Facebook, this is the last paragraph of the piece in TechCrunch. Facebook needs pages to be more than ever-churning content rivers. In other words, pages as destinations for content. And again, as one of our regular themes, brands as media publishers, right? Exactly right. And 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 again, they, they also have the technology, which is, it's a critical component of serving up all these ads. You know, they, they, they just, Facebook just acquired a live rail mm-hmm. and, you know, they're the leader in video ad serving. So they know how to monetize this stuff because all of the, you know, listen, <laughs> it's really simple. Most marketers are now going out there and they're doing this, you know, programmatic ad buying where they're saying, look, spread this thing around Mm -hmm. to the most relevant people out there based on user data, and we'll pay you X amount of dollars. So if you've got hundreds of millions of people or a billion video views daily, there's a lot you can do with that. Mm. Absolutely. More to be revealed. You're listening to Media Unplugged with Tom Asacker and Mark Ramsey. Topic two, it's a trend. Publishers as platforms where fans make content, but publishers make banks. Surprisingly, Tom, it's the publishers that are making the bank and not yeah, the fans. Geez. This is <laughs> this is from a Digiday piece. The title, Movie Pilot, cashes in on a platform approach. And I thought, what the heck is Movie Pilot? I went to school on it. <laughs> Here's the title of the, uh, of, the, of the piece, or the first paragraph of the piece. These days, every publisher wants to double as a platform. And with the success of outfits like Movie Pilot, it's easy to see why. First of all, we need to explain what a platform is in this context. Oh, yeah. And Tell me, because I'm I, really I know. It's fuzzy. <laughs> but it seems to me what they mean by platform is a thing created by... Uh, by, by a publisher, which allows the fans to do all the work and the publisher to net all the proceeds. <laughs> Does that? And we can say the fan is themselves a publisher, but in the context of a platform where the money goes to the platform, not to the fan. That's what it is. And Movie Pilot apparently is a film buff site, which opened it itself up to contributors in June and has posted some big numbers since going the platform route. By the way, what they mean by that is we open, it's, we open ourselves to contributors and we have 5,000 people creating content for us. That's 4,000 articles a month on topics like horror and superheroes and young adult movies. And here's the thing. It's obviously, it's the, it's the tribe activated, right? It's the tribe creating content that they're interested in for each other. And here's the important thing. It taps into the power of Facebook to distribute all that content. That's really the critical element because a huge uh, component Mm -hmm. of the traffic for this thing, over 80% of their traffic comes from Facebook, 
where it links to roughly 100 of its articles a week via its dozen Facebook pages, which have 29 million fans collectively. This, by the way, it's the same model uh, taken up by other quote-unquote publishers as platforms like EW.com, Yahoo Finance, Condé Nast, uh, Condé Nast Traveler, oh, yeah. Time Out, Harvard Business Review, um, Forbes. We know them all, right? Well, listen, think think about this, okay? So, so, so you're a publisher, quote-unquote publisher, and you have to think to yourself, okay, now what's the best way for me to get traffic to this, to this website mm-hmm. so you can then go rent those eyeballs to advertisers? Okay, so let's see. I can hire hundreds or thousands of writers to write and ask them to then go drive people to their articles, right? right? I can pay all those people, or I can reach out to people who crave attention who relish the so-called status of being associated with the brand, you know, I can say I'm a Harvard Business Review journalist now. Right. And I have them write (laughs) for free. And here's the real kicker. I don't even have to ask those writers to drive people to their articles because they're going to be happy to tweet it, pin it, link it on Facebook, ask their friends to share it. Why? Because their desire, these people, their currency is exposure. And their master's, at wading into the stream and getting people's attention. That's what they do all day long. That's exactly right. And the and it, it, the difficulty level of saying to oneself, I want to create a movie site about horror films. To put that together is infinitely more difficult than to say, you know what? I could be a publisher with Movie Pilot, and I could start blogging about horror movies right now. I could tap in not only my own Facebook followers, but also this universe of thousands of other uh, fans of movies that are already part of the Movie Pilot platform. Ah, you see, there's the key right there. It's not that I can't do my own little horror movie review site or blog. Mm-hmm. I can do that. Yes. But I'm only going to draw in a small number of people to start based on who I'm connected to. But guess what? If I've got this huge platform and people can highlight my stuff on that platform every (laughs) once in a while, right? I can drive all kinds of people. It's it's this allure of of eyeballs and attention and exposure. And here's the proof of, of your point. If you click on the button, become a creator, because, you know, who doesn't want to be a creator, right? <laughs> In this day and age, creativity, creation. I don't know, uh, man. I, mean, I like to get all, paid every once in a while, but all, I understand what you're saying. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying. <laughs> if you click become a creator, um, you'll see among the text that pops up on the screen is get started, comma, get noticed. That's it. There it is. Right there in a nutshell. There and that's the, the, the... I think this is one of the things, by the way, that too many brands still do not quite recognize they put out their content, their branded content out on on the internet and they pray that people will share it widely. And what they don't recognize is they're not tapping into the inherent need of people to create their own stuff in the halo of that brand and distri- and both create it easily and distribute it even more easily. That's it. Everybody, they're, they, they've, they, the brands want to be famous, but they don't recognize that their fans want to be just as famous. Listen, Mark, if, if I could get a million people to write for me, and they each had 20 of their friends read their stuff. I've now got 20 million eyeballs. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds to me like we've got another project right after this podcast we got to take up. There you go. <laughs> All right. It is time for Rants and Raves, where we get to rant and rave on the topic of uh, that, that interests us. And Tom, I always like to go to you first. This time is no exception. What do you have? All right. Well, listen, I was going to rant about the Chinese 
censoring one of their people's new soap operas. The soap opera is called <laughs> The Empress of China because it featured buxom women in low-cut dresses. So they pulled it off and, and edited it. And then I thought about it. I said, wait a minute. If I rant about this on air, what if Media Unplugged gets hacked and we have to pull our show like Sony did? So I don't want to take that kind of risk, not this early in the new year. So I'm, instead, because we're into the, you know, the, the heart of this whole NFL season, I want to rant about their anti-domestic violence, their, their public service mm. announcement that's being broadcast during the games. I don't know if you've seen any of these. No, I haven't. You, you can't miss it, but turn on the games this weekend. So listen, I have no issue with the intent. Shining a light on the, uh, the, this problem of domestic violence is, is commendable. But, I mean, they totally tripped up on the execution. So I'm sitting looking at the screen, and I'm watching, like, beautiful actresses like Hillary Swank. And she's just, it's just her choked up, unable to talk on, on camera. And I'm thinking to myself, I mean, was she abused? I mean, did an NFL player hit her? <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, and, and then they show pretty boy athletes like Eli Manning mouthing, no more. I mean, please. Mm-hmm. It, so the whole thing is just, it's disingenuous. It's, it's impotent. Where's the authenticity? I mean, we can show <laughs> abused animals on TV commercials, right? But we can't show the ugly, sickening, cowardly abuse against women. The whole thing to me smacks of the NFL simply trying to massage its image. And as I've repeatedly said, especially with the media and PSAs like this one, your goal is not to make an image, it's to make a statement. Shame on the NFL for not making the powerful statement that they certainly could have and should have with these spots. That's interesting. So you see these various actors and actresses kind of uh, going speechless, and that's intended to communicate a larger message, but you have none of the context, none of the detail. I, I'm puzzled as to why they think that's more than a curiosity for the average person. Yeah, I don't think it's making, I don't think it's really driving anyone, anyone to think too deeply and to care about the issue. I, mm. I don't get it. I, I don't know who did it. Well, actually I do, but I'm not going to say it on air. But, <laughs> but it, 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 it's, a, it's a big trip up in execution. Interesting. All right. I have a rant this week myself. Uh, mine is from USA Today from a piece called Kodak brand is returning to store shelves. Oh, good. <laughs> now, first of all, some context. My father worked at Kodak his entire career. 40 years he spent at Kodak. I grew up in Rochester, New York, so I know this company pretty well. As everybody knows, and by the way, if there's anything anybody knows about Kodak, it's that they declared bankruptcy about three years ago. Right. But here's the thing. Evidently, somebody's done some research that indicates that the Kodak brand has goodwill that Kodak the company does not. Here's a quote from the piece. It was difficult to find a brand that resonated. Family values, taking care of loved ones, said Ronald Pace, senior vice president of business development operations at video monitoring technology company C-Donk, which signed a deal with Kodak last year that will put out its Kodak baby monitoring system in early 2015. Quote, Then the Kodak opportunity came up, Kodak moments. These are things that are important to our customers, end quote. And I thought, well, look, I can understand if your company's called C-Donk that (laughs) (laughs) you you might want to seek out you know, other alternatives for branding. And this article is full of it. That they, uh, Those yellow boxes of Kodak film, they're made by a Kodak spin-off, spin-off called Alaris. Kodak stopped making digital cameras in 2012. 
Um, licensing right now is in many ways the biggest business for Kodak. There's a company that licenses its brand name for CDs and DVDs and Blu-ray discs. There's another company that is coming out with a tablet, computer, and smartphone uh, labeled uh, Kodak. In fact, there's a piece right today, I think, from from CES where this smartphone is out there and it says the, the, the top of the piece is, Kodak has launched his first mobile phone. It's aimed at the more mature users who are looking at moving to a smartphone, moving to a smartphone, <laughs> but, but want a brand they find reassuring. Because when I think smartphone, I think Kodak. Exactly. Now, Kodak's not making this phone. This is another of its licensing deals. So they're doing all these licensing deals. And honestly, I get the intention here. It's to have something warm and fuzzy because presumably there are these warm and fuzzy attributes with the Kodak name. But Tom, who are the people who have these warm and fuzzy attributes? I don't know. Those, I just hope they're getting their money up front on these deals. They are getting that. Well, no, they're doing rev share on a lot of That's these because the getting the money up front. <laughs> but I mean, the people who have that association with Kodak are aging fast. That's an association that is 20 years and older and is rooted in those yellow and red boxes that were in every, you know, whatever CVS was called back then. Right. Uh, and no longer are. Uh, and I think think what people are doing is they're asking the wrong question. They're asking people about the emotional association with the Kodak brand, people who have very long memories, people who are very mature. But people today, consumers rising now, have no association with Kodak other than the fact that it's the company that went bankrupt three years ago, which leads me to the question, um, am I going to buy something branded with the Kodak name if I think that that company, that this product will no longer be serviced <laughs> within three years? I mean, why should I believe that anything with the Kodak name will exist three years out? I, listen, Mark, you got me. It's like putting Atari <laughs> or Pong on some, you know, downloaded video app. I, I don't know. You know, the, the thing closes out. It says there's so much noise out there, so many gadgets and things popping up left and right, Pace said. The one thing people are looking for is something they can trust. It's hard to build a brand from scratch and get that trust without spending millions and millions. So their way of getting trust is to use the brand of a company that declared bankruptcy three years ago. Yeah. <laughs> and prior to that was selling laser printers on um, The Apprentice, The Celebrity Apprentice. So you tell me <laughs> about trust. All right, Tom. That's, Don't get me started. <laughs> that's Media Unplugged for this week. Please remember... To subscribe to us at iTunes, on Stitcher, at SoundCloud, or at Podcast One, our audiences are proliferating. And while you're there, please rate the show. It helps other folks discover us. You can follow Tom on Twitter at Tom Asacker and Mark at Mark Ramsey Media. Send us your questions and comments using hashtag Media Unplugged. If there's a media topic you want us to cover, tweet us. You can read the show notes and share the show at our website, MediaUnplugged.net. Special thanks to the producer of Media Unplugged, Jeff Schmidt. Exciting audio from media. You can find him at jeff-schmidt.com. For Tom Asecker, I'm Mark Ramsey. Thank you so much for listening.